The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. Well, tonight we're going to hear a story about a guy who gets a little lost on his way to becoming. A guy named Elijah. He loses his perspective, I think, like we all do, because he's in kind of a hard place. So here's a little background on this story comes from the Old Testament. There's a lot of Old Testament stories that are a little obtuse, and uh, this one's not going to be any different. So just uh, what's that? Let me explain. No, let me sum up. So um, Elijah's a prophet. And his job is basically, a prophet's job is to remind the king that the king's job is to take care of the people. They're supposed to remind the king to, um, to serve God. And part of what it means to serve God is to make sure that the people over which they've been given um, the rule uh, are cared for, that they are given the opportunity to worship and to flourish. That's a king's job. But in Elijah's day, the king, this guy named um, uh, Ahab, Mary's a woman who doesn't believe in the God of Israel. She believes in a God named Baal. Baal's not a nice God. Pretty demanding, kills children, things like that. And what happens is that Ahab, because of his wife Jezebel, kind of leads the Israelites away from God. And so Elijah comes in and says, that's not okay, you can't do that. And they have this kind of showdown in, at Mount Carmel where basically... Um, they have this sort of like, my God's better than your God fight, if you want to call it that. And, uh, and in that process, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of smack talk, like, where's your God? Is he on the toilet? I kid you not. That's what it says in the Hebrew. It's always good to know those original languages. Is your God sitting on the pot? Um, and eventually, Yahweh, the God of Israel, shows up, and I think the word we will use here is smite. He smites the, God, the priests of Baal. And when, um, when Jezebel finds out, she's not very happy. And so we, as we pick up the story, um, basically Jezebel sends a messenger to Elijah and says, so may the gods do to me, and more so also, if I do not make your life like one of them by this time tomorrow. And then he was afraid. And he got up and he fled for his life. And he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. And he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came and sat down under a solitary broom tree, and he asked that he might die. It's enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. And he laid down under the broom tree, and he fell asleep. And suddenly an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. And he looked, and there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank, and he laid down again. The angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, otherwise the journey will be too much for you. And he got up and he ate and he drank. And then he went on the strength of that for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, Mount Sinai, the Mount of God. And at that place he came to a cave and he spent the night there. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he answered, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. 
And God said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, a great earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard that, he wrapped his face in his mantle and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he answered, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael as king over Aram. You shall anoint Jehu, son of Nishmi, as king over Israel. And you shall anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat of Abel-Mahoah, as prophet in your place. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees who have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Let me pray. God, this is a weird story. But you are in stories. And so we ask that you'd open our eyes to see that maybe Elijah's story isn't so different from ours. Thanks that you hear us and that you meet us. Amen. I love this guy. He has this great experience of God. I mean, really, God smites an entire group of prophets of the bad guys. And then this woman comes along and says, I want you dead. And he goes, Egad. And he runs, and he runs, and he runs, and he runs. He runs and exhausts himself. And along the way, he leaves behind the person that was with him, his servant, very likely um, actually a widow's son that he had raised in a story that goes um, before this. He had raised him from the dead. He leaves him in the desert, and he continues on to himself, and he gets to this broom tree, And he just falls on the ground there and he says, I just want to die, which is kind of funny because the whole reason he's running is because he's afraid someone's going to kill him. And I love that that God meets him with this angel. Now, in Hebrew, the word for messenger is kind of almost, it's pretty similar to Arab. And so a lot of people debate, was it an Arab that came and took care of him? Was it an angel that came and took care of him? Either way, it would be pretty miraculous for a Jew to have been cared for in that way. But he gets cared for. He needs to eat, and he needs to sleep. He needs to rest. You guys are cruising into finals. Wouldn't you love to just run somewhere and eat and sleep and have no one bother you for a little while? That could be pretty good for your soul, I can imagine. Sometimes I think we work ourselves so much into a funk that we just need some, we just need some self-care. And sometimes we don't even have the capacity to care for ourselves. Well, he ends up, Again, kind of ironically, he's looking for, he's afraid, and he begins to make these choices where he just begins to isolate himself more and more. God cares for him even in his isolation, and God knows he's on a mission. He's headed to Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. Now, Mount Sinai was the place, if you remember the story of Moses, where God brought the Israelites when he rescued them out of Egypt. They were led by Moses 
um, to Mount Sinai. It's where they got the Ten Commandments. And God appeared there in a big old thunder cloud. And the covenant was revealed. And that's where God said, I will be your God and you will be my people. They were given identity in that place. You belong and you belong to me. And they had a purpose. God said, you're going to be my treasured possession. You guys are going to travel around the earth and you're going to show people how much I long to know and be loved and love you and see others loved. You're going to be like my roving kind of light in dark places. So the interesting thing for me is that in his angst, Elijah, all he can think of is, I got to go back to that place. I got to go back to that mountain because God's been there in the past. It's almost as if he's saying, God, this is such a mess. Can you just start over with me? So he makes this 40-day journey, which actually would have really taken him two weeks. In a lot of ways, this 40-day journey kind of mirrors, mirrors the idea of it was 40 years that the Israelites wandered in the desert. They wandered in the wilderness. And when he gets there, notice what happens. There's wind. I mean, it's the kind of wind that breaks rocks. I don't know if any of you have ever been in a tornado or a hurricane, but they're kind of scary. It sounds like this is that kind of power. And then you get this earthquake. And then there's fire. And in all these things, it says God isn't in that. God's not there. He's looking for the ways that God used to show up. And he's not there. God's not in the big flashy show. God's in the quiet. And I don't know, I used to live in the U District. I used to walk through Dead's Red Solo Cup land to come to work. It was very sad, very sad on Sunday mornings as I came to work. This is not a quiet neighborhood, I've noticed. Just going to say that. And I think if you're looking for a quiet space, it's hard to find that here. But I love that God says to him, dude, what are you doing here? Why did you run away here? But I think Elijah does exactly what we all do when we're anxious or we're afraid. We want to go back to the place where God showed up big last. I don't know if you've ever done this, but maybe it's kind of like, man, when we were in the DR, that was huge. I just wish I could go back. Or, man, when we were... When we went to Beyond Malibu, I just had these great conversations. I feel like God was there, or that retreat. Or maybe it's easier for you to meet God in this place on Tuesday nights than it is for you to see God on a Saturday night where you live. In a lot of ways, we want to go back to something where we believe that God showed up. We want a big show. We want the big bang. We want it so bad that we may very well miss what's happening right now. I love, too, that God kind of ignores Elijah's rehearsed speech. I mean, he goes through it twice. I've been very zealous for the Lord. Right? Says it twice. When I'm really in a crappy place, I create a reality in my head, and I just keep repeating it. They hate me. They all hate me. They're so mean. My seven-year-old self. I'm just going to run away. No one loves me. It's horrible. I'm so persecuted. You create a reality. And you can hear like, hello. No, I'm, this, is, this is my story. I can't change my story. Elijah misses what God's doing. And so God says to Elijah, hey, Elijah, let's look at what I'm doing here. 
I want to show you what I'm doing here. I have purpose for your life. I'm going to identify partners for you. We're going to send them out. We're going to commission them. And by the way, you're not so by yourself as you think. There are 7,000 other people that you could be connecting with right now. You're not that alone. In a moment of procrastination, I thought, 7,000 people. If I told you, you have 7,000 people that totally want to be your friend. Do you know if you had a meal a day with each of those people, it would take you six and a half years to meet them all. That's a lot of not alone. You know what I'm saying? 7,000 people. And as, as we think about loneliness, I guess I want to challenge you a little bit because I think we often choose loneliness because we're afraid. And ironically, we're afraid of being alone. <laughs> so... You know, I mean, go back to Elijah, right? She's going to kill me. So he runs. He's like, she's going to kill me. So he runs and he's got a friend. He's like, yeah, I got to go. I got to leave you behind. And so he runs and he leaves his friend behind and he runs himself to this stupid broom tree where he sits down. And he's like, I just want to die. You're like, all by myself. I think we isolate ourselves all the time when we're kind of in a place of fear. This is what it looks like. In my world, you guys are a lot more hip, so you probably have better ways to do it. But I often will wander in, when I'm having a crappy day, I go to the source. I go to Facebook. And I just see, what are the friends that I have in the world doing? And I slowly spiral into, like, a really bad funk. Because, I don't know about you, but when I put pictures on Facebook, they're the best picture, right? It's the best picture. You may have had kind of a crappy vacation. It may have rained the whole time, but the one picture that was from when the sun came out, that's the one that goes up on Facebook. It's the one where you look great and your friends are there and you're happy and you're smiling. It's not really the totality of your life. It's just the reality that you want to put in front of people. And then we go through Facebook and we see all these people that have this awesome life that's not really an awesome life. It's just the one picture that they chose to give you the idea that they have an awesome life. And we go picture after picture after picture and we think, I thought my life sucked before and now it really sucks. Because everyone has happy friends and they have things to do and I'm just sitting here flipping through Facebook. I have no life. My life sucks. And I'm lonelier than I was when I started. And studies actually show that people who spend a lot of time on Facebook are, in fact, unhappy. They're lonely. Because we live in a world where we want to connect with people, and pictures just aren't people. I don't know what your broom tree is, where you run to and retreat to, that leaves you lonelier when you started. But I think we do it a lot. And we sit there and we think about, you know, if only. Maybe I should, maybe I should just go back to that old boyfriend or that old job. Or if I could just get into that grad school that's way, way out there. Or maybe if I could just go back to Beyond Malibu next year, next year. Just holding out for that. We make choices that isolate us from the very community we long to be connected to. And we create a story and we rehearse it so much and so loud that we don't even see what God is doing in the present. God longs for us to hear, you're loved. Your life has purpose. God's at work in you and through you and, oh my gosh, in spite of you. 
God's moving in ways that if you don't pause and stop navel-gazing, you won't see. If you don't listen, you'll miss it. Elijah's story reminds us that God's in the quiet place. God met him at the broom tree, remember? He provided for him. He provided rest and touch. It says twice in that passage that he touched him. He touches him, he feeds him, he lets him rest. But Elijah can't hear God's voice because he's got so much going on in his head. He's convinced God's not there. He's somewhere else. So here's what I think about all this. I think that we can choose to withdraw, to listen, to let God care for us. There's a difference between loneliness and isolation and solitude. They look the same on the outside, but I think they're pretty different. Solitude is that place where you pull away in order to reassess, to get kind of perspective. Ironically, when I ran away, I sat there by myself and I had in my head this rehearsed reality, but eventually I realized I'm kind of lonely. It's going to be cold. I don't have any food. The mosquitoes kind of suck. Maybe my sisters aren't that bad. And I heard this little voice that said, go home. And I went home. And truthfully, as an adult, I still go for solitude. I have a dog. You've seen it. It runs around back here most Tuesdays because I hang around here a lot because I kind of like you guys. And I have to walk that dog twice a day. And that's actually my kind of my quiet solitude space. It's a space where I go and I walk and I listen. I just want to listen. I need some stuff to stop. There's no phone. There's no radio. It's just quiet. And I let God meet me and challenge me. The wilderness, by the way, in the scriptures is a place where God sends people to kind of connect with him, to meet with him, to build relationship with him. Moses spends time in the wilderness. The Israelites spend time in the wilderness. Jesus gets driven into the wilderness. Paul, the prophets. It's the place where the people of God meet God and they form a community and a bond. The wilderness actually, while it is a, quote, lonely place, doesn't have to be lonely. So here's what I have for you. What would it look like for you to listen for God in the place where you are right now? Which may not be the place where you'd expect to meet God. Maybe you think you should be meeting God somewhere else. But what would it look like for you to maybe look up from where you are? Maybe you've been running away. And I'd say, where do you escape to? What's your broom tree look like? Maybe it's not Facebook. Maybe it's gaming. I'm not that hip. I just don't know. Remember, I was born in the 60s. I got nothing. But I bet you know, you know where the broom trees are in your world. Where do you go? Where do you go and rehearse? My life sucks and I'm all by myself. And how are you missing God in that place? God is there to touch you and to serve you. Can you open your eyes and see? Or maybe you've been making choices to isolate yourself. Maybe you've created a reality that just factors God completely out of where you are. What would it look like for God to show you something that you haven't seen before? Are there people in your community that maybe you just don't kind of realize are there to be there with you? Do you ditch people along the way because you think, I don't have a place for you? 
So I invite you, in the place where you are, where maybe you don't expect that God's going to be there because God should be somewhere else, open your eyes and ask. And then secondly, I'd leave you with this. What does it look like for you on the University of Washington campus to choose solitude? Andy, we have roommates, and they have friends, and they sleep everywhere. You're surrounded by people all the time. But how do you find solitude in the midst of that? Can you make space as you walk to class? Can you find a quiet place to journal or to read? There has to be somewhere. Just put headphones on. This is what I do. All right, I'm just going to complain. I put headphones on, but I don't have any music on. I just put headphones in because I think then people won't bother me. Like on the plane, please, please don't talk to me. (laughs) I just would really encourage you, if you feel lonely, and I know we all do, look up. And find that maybe you're not so alone as you think you are. Change your story and ask God, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And then take some time to willingly be alone. Not lonely, but alone. Because that's when you hear how loved you are. God says, you are my beloved and I'm well pleased with you. And you don't have to earn it. You don't have to show me anything for it. I just love you because you are. Do you have space to hear that message? You're coming up on the end of the school year, and there are a lot of voices that are calling it at you and yelling at you. I just hope that as you enter into the kind of the last season of this quarter, that you can find some space. Make space for each other. I think there's probably 7,000 people on this campus that you don't even know yet that would love to be friends and partners with you as followers of Jesus, could you look up and see them? Maybe they don't even know they want to be followers of Jesus yet. I love the staff. Um, The interns, they're great. I mean, are they great? They're great. And then you got all these awesome, kind of crazy staff. I mean, Ryan, Janie, they're a little little crazy. Annika. Germs, on it goes. But they're here for you. If you feel like you're pulling away and you're by yourself, I'd encourage you to connect with them. I've got this big sign in the back that says pray, and I bet they'd love to pray with you and to be with you. You're not alone. You don't have to be alone, and you sure don't have to carry your burdens alone. God's called you, and you can't run away. Didn't Brian say that last week? You can pretend to run away, but all you have to do is turn around, and God's right there. So you may feel lonely but you're never alone. Let's pray. God, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you are with us. Even when we come up with a stupid line that says, we're all by ourselves, nobody gets it, nobody cares. You just let us talk and you let us listen and you reach out and you touch and you care for us and you call us to look up, open our eyes and see what you have for us to do and to be. I pray for my friends here as they finish up this quarter, as they look at a couple more weeks left of school. Help them not to get so stuck where they are that they don't see what you are doing. May the kingdom come and your will be done because of them. Amen.